Hello, friend. Welcome back to Adrenaline on Realm. I am your host, Neil Helligers. Um, and we are about to head into the second episode of Echo Park. And we really, I mean, got into the thick of it last time with uh, James's drug habit. We got missing clones and a future that really doesn't feel all that far away. And uh, I'm going to make a prediction right now. Something that is as true now as it will be in the near future is words from our sponsor. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy night? 1920s. New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. So before we get into it, I just want to take a moment to talk about the ethics of cloning, uh, specifically this um, case use, I guess you'd call it, of James utilizing Terrence to uh, maintain his recreational drug use, his uh, take-the-edge-off lifestyle. And with no judgment whatsoever about said recreational drug use, uh, the ethical question here, as I see it, is James making choices and having an arrangement with Terrence that compels Terrence to make certain choices in his life. So I don't think that's very fair whoa, to whoa, whoa, um, what you're whoa. saying is that Terrence's life is somehow necessarily subsidiary to James's life and that James's choices have to always necessarily impact Terrence's. Maybe Terrence doesn't like doing drugs and enjoys the financial arrangement he has with James, so I don't see anything wrong with that. That is an excellent point. Let's, um, let's go with that. So without further ado, here is episode two of Echo Park. Enjoy. James. Santa Monica State Beach, August 17th. Me and the man with the gun sit in awkward silence as the car cruises towards the beach. This, of course, is when the chunky rainbow peaks, sinking me deep into the seat. The 30-minute ride feels like both an eternity and a brief moment all at once. <laughs> Terrence! Can you, like, stop giggling? It's really creepy. The man with the gun says, Sorry. Takes me a second to remember that Terrence means me, but I'm currently sharing the car with my missing Echo's wannabe kidnapper. Well, not wannabe. I am being kidnapped. I almost burst out laughing again when the car reaches the beach parking lot. Is it nerves or the rainbow? No, definitely the rainbow. 
My head keeps distantly yelling, gun, gun, gun. But all my body does is sink deeper into the seat and stare at the streetlights. Not here. Too many lights. Over there. The security cameras can't see us. The man points a shaky finger toward one edge of the parking lot. Park right and idle, I instruct. The car settles down into a low hum. The man shifts in his seat. Terrence, I'm only going to tell you this once. He lifts the gun up level to my chest. Hey, hold on a second. Look, Terrence, I'm not kidding. This isn't a toy. I don't have the time to go over basic safety, but I don't want to find out you shot yourself, even though it's not loaded right now. I tune him out and focus on the actual gun lying in his hand, barrel pointing toward the windshield, away from either of us. Now that it doesn't seem like I'm about to get murdered, I can see the gun has been 3D printed. The carbon plastic weave is a kind of a dull matte black, and while the shape shouts gun, the blocky angles remind me of the kid's drawing of an object. I reach up to accept the gun. Look, don't worry. I mentally swipe through the acquaintances, panicked that I have no idea what this man's name is. Wait, Terrence did mention a Floyd a couple of weeks ago. Another clone sad sack who was having trouble finding work. Terrence talked about giving Floyd a little bit of his urine money to do odd jobs and run errands. By errands, I figured Terrence meant picking up dry cleaning, not illicit arms trade. I try again. Look, don't worry, Floyd. When I look over, the man's folded his hands in his lap, head bowed over them. He looks off to one side, contemplative. Oh, okay. Floyd it is. I recognize his posture. I've counseled enough people who want to be coaxed, who want to unburden themselves. And that's right. Terrence is a counselor too. Floyd must be his client. But what kind of client supplies their therapist with a gun? I take a deep breath to relax my throat and focus on not giggling. Listen, I know you're worried. I'm okay. Trust me. I'm more concerned about you. I'm available to listen, anytime. It's just, I guess I believed in his kinder more than I thought. I even found my source. He's a dentist. Can you imagine? There are people who focus on teeth alone. So weird. When in doubt, just ask questions. Get the client to guide the conversation. So what was it like? talking to your source. Floyd turns away and, for a second, I think I've pushed too far, said something wrong, until he looks back, tears in his eyes. I got too scared. Bought a burner phone, dialed him. He picked up and the moment I heard his voice, I threw the phone into the trash. <laughs> I'm a coward. Floyd takes something else out of his pocket, a piece of jewelry plain metal loop with a metal bar down the middle. Again, my head swipes through a list of all the conversations I've had with Terrence these past few months. The circle and the loop, the religious symbol. All my questions Terrence had dodged through the months surged through my mind. It takes effort not to let them spill out now, giving me away. I put a hand on Floyd's shoulder, hoping this is a Terrence move. I figured he'd be touchy-feely kind of counselor but I pull my hand away quickly when Floyd jumps in his seat. Sorry, listen, 
You just have to be honest with yourself about why you're scared. Maybe it's not yet time for you to talk to your source. You don't think Iskender would be disappointed in me? Iskender, I've read a short article about the head of the Circle Cult, who had recently passed. Terence hadn't wanted to talk about it, nor did any of the echoes I'd run into since. I hesitate, hoping it'll look like I'm pondering Floyd's question, and then reply. No, why would he? Everyone has to go through the process at their own pace. He'd be proud, honestly. The moon changes and so shall we, Floyd mutters to himself. He takes a deep breath, and I let the silence grow again, letting him have his moment. When Floyd turns to me once more, he looks clear-eyed. For a second, despite the circumstances, I feel that inner fire from a job well done. Floyd says, Is it safe to go to Iskander's vigil then? You don't have to go if you're not up for it. Iskander would have understood. But you're going, right? You have to. Everyone's counting on you. Like, some of us think of you as our hero. Hero? My throat tightens. I know Floyd is talking about Terrence, but it's been so long since anyone acknowledged how important I am to them. From my parents, it's always how much potential I have. Potential I'm wasting being heavily implied. With the civil advisors, it's how great a job I do at building a bridge between the police and the citizenry. Well, bridges either get walked all over or burned. I could tell this sad man anything. Walk away. Smart thing to do would be to get him out of my car and drive home. I can try to find Terrence later. This is the last risk I should be taking on. But I can't deny that helping Floyd with whatever catharsis he just had has given me more of a thrill than any cop client intervention. Somebody out there needs me, not just a civil advisor. Me. I am the only one who can do this. Of course, I'll be there. I want to help. I drop Floyd off a few blocks away from where the vigil is supposed to be. En route, I remind myself not to call this place Doubletown out loud. I've been spending a little bit too much time around the police precinct. I'm starting to pick up their slang. None of it pro-community or pro-clone. No, not clone. Echo. I tell Floyd I'll see him inside. But the second he exits the car, I think of turning right around and going home. It's late enough that my parents will be asleep, so no. Where have you been, interrogations? The rainbow has worn off and the world regains a sharp edge, making everything too immediate. What am I going to do? I'm not going to fucking pretend to be Terrence all night. At some vigil where everyone is counting on me, as Floyd said. A vigil for a supposed cult leader. Maybe Terrence is already here, I tell myself. Maybe he just forgot our meetup and forgot his phone and forgot to leave any notice behind. I jump. This needs to stop happening. I turn to see a white woman standing next to the driver's side, giving me a small smile. She wears a tailored gray business jacket and slacks, with a white collared shirt and black silk tie beneath. A polished corporate look that contrasts with her pixie features. The only thing that seems out of place is her brunette hair, hanging in slightly disheveled waves down to her shoulders. I figured she wears a suit to compensate for her looks, to get people to take her seriously. 
but something about her still seems off. An intensity in the way she holds a practiced smile. Her hazel eyes have a wild laser focus. I climb out of the car, gathering my thoughts, preparing some vague greeting. What would Terrence say? Something soft and noncommittal, probably. I, I give the woman a smile. Good thing she's wearing a security lanyard emblazoned with a company name. Macalos Therapeutics. In her picture, name and title. Sophia Newhouse. Contractor. Mix Newhouse, can I help you with something? She gives me a piercing look. I'm headed to the vigil, Terrence. Mind if I walk with you? Damn. Should have called her Sophia. How do I get out of this? I could tell her I need to run an errand first, or that I need to stop by my place of change into something more appropriate. It would be an easy white lie. But then I think about the gun and Terrence. He must need my help right now. And I'm the only one who can help him. This is the only way to find him. Plus, there's Sophia's last name. Clones all have government-mandated Zodiac surnames based on the month they were birthed. Newhouse is no clone. Weirdly, having Sophia here comforts me somehow. I'm not the only outsider in Doubletown. No, wait. Damn. Echo Park. Another lie slips out of my mouth. Sure. I wanted to chat with you anyway. Oh. I wanted to talk to you too. Well, ladies, first. I say and then flinch inwardly. Terrence would never say something like that. Sophia doesn't notice. I wanted to talk to you about the article. Article? She stops, and I can feel her gaze peeling away the lies. The Macalos article, their retrospective on the community and the circle. Oh, right. Yes, sorry, I, I thought you meant Iskender. In fact, you might be the best person to ask about how the community is faring. And I wanted to hear your personal opinion about Iskender, since you are an outsider. Deflect and reflect, a classic maneuver. Again, that intense stare, followed by a careful measured answer. Iskender was an inspiration to everyone, even me. Although maybe he was too much of a true believer in his own philosophy. I'm sure you have a lot to say about reflection. Especially in therapy. Terrence never mentioned anything called reflections. At least not that I can remember. As Terrence a therapist, I try to give an equally careful, measured answer. It's less important what I think, honestly, than what other people need in therapy. We resume our pace, hopping onto the rubberized sidewalk, the material crumbling into pebble-shaped chunks due to the lack of city maintenance. I match Sophia's stride, walking side by side. Sometimes, I lean on my storytelling, testing the edge of believability. Like the time I invented a nice high-achieving Asian blind date to get my parents off my back for a few months. Or when I told civil advisors I was clean the day after a binge. Or when I gave people Terrence's name when trying to pick them up at a bar, just to escape my own skin for a moment. Wait, when did you get a car? Sophia asks. She stops turns around and stares at it. Fuck. It's a rental. I needed to get out of the city for a bit. Ah. <laughs> I don't suppose Charles was with you. 
I thought he would be making a public statement for the vigil, but he hasn't posted anything. This is a time I can technically tell the truth. I take a slow step forward, willing her to follow. She does. Charles wasn't with me, no. When was the last time you saw him? I can't tell you. Honestly, I, I, it's been pretty trying. It's Kender and all. Sophia stared at me again with those eyes that could pierce armor. Some people have been mourning Mia, too, you know. Yes, Mia, of course. Did Terrence mention a Mia? Do you know if the police have any leads on the killer? I think through my recent police work. Clone mugshots, public disturbance reports, and Double Town rumors. I can't recall anything about anyone named Mia, but there have been plenty of clone disappearances lately. Not to mention Iskender's death. Most of the cops think that it's all cult-related, that we could be heading towards a repeat of Jonestown or the Shining City incident. A wave of mass suicides after the loss of the leader. But I have no idea what Terrence thought about all this. I don't want to speculate or spread rumors. I softball. Up ahead, a crowd gathers in front of a rundown community center. Sophia's stare causes the hair on the back of my neck to rise. So I deflect again. Do you have an idea? Sophia's demeanor changes. Less of a pouncing posture and more of leaning in. She obviously wants permission to air her suspicions. She takes hold on my jacket sleeve. A little close to the gun in my inner pocket pulls me firmly to one side. I think it has to be Benny. I can feel my heart pounding. Trying to find the right words to keep the conversation going. It's like picking dialogue choices for a video game in a language I don't understand. Really? Why Benny? He never really loved Mia. She shouldn't have trusted him. He was using her to the end. Who knows what else he was capable of. I take a step back at the intensity. For a moment, I'd believe this small pixie of a woman could snap my arm if I'm not careful. I nod. Partners are often the primary suspects. She lets go of my jacket. I turn to make sure my body is between the gun and her. This is sorry. Everyone seems to forget Mia in all this. She wasn't just my echo. She was a person. Even a person who gets overlooked deserves empathy. Hey, it's okay. Everyone's stressed. Let's just get through the vigil first. Take things one step at a time. I'm sure Mia will get the justice she deserves. Sophia softens for a moment. Again, I get that adrenaline rush for defusing the situation. But then, she slips quickly back into professional mode, keeping her hands clasped in front of her. Terrence, thank you. I can see why people come to you to talk. They are lucky to have you for the vigil. You are doing some good here. I'm doing good here, it goes in my brain, followed by a jolt of irritation, because she doesn't really mean me. We join the crowd headed to the community center, beneath the giant spray-painted circle with a line down the middle. Hello friend, this is Neil Helligers, host of Adrenaline Realm's Thriller channel, and I'm here to talk to you a little bit more about the Greenlight app. And this message is of course sponsored by Greenlight, but I was using, our family was using the Greenlight app uh, even before the first ad in a wonderful, thrilling, cosmic coincidence, right? See what I did there? 
So again, to catch you up, Greenlight is a debit card and a money app that's made for families. Basically, the way it works is that parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on their kids' spending and saving. And you can see exactly how much money they have in their account. And there's different ways to give them money. What we've been doing is on a, like a weekly allowance, a certain amount that goes into his account every week. So in order to further the conversation about money and about earning, uh, we're using Greenlight as a kind of a foundation for that conversation. Uh, in other words, instead of just the allowance he gets for a certain base things that he's expected to do around the house, uh, we are also adding the chore feature, which is certain one-time payments for certain one-time jobs. For example, in our house, we're trying to encourage our son to start walking the dog more. He's old enough for it, he's responsible enough for it, and he's done it enough that he knows what to do. So he can really see that for all those extra times that he steps up and does the dog walk, he gets rewarded for that job well done. And this is the conversation. In life, when you work a little extra harder, you get a little extra compensation and you can either save that up or spend it how you like. And we're not alone in this. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's a very easy and very convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and for families to navigate life together. So sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash adrenaline. That's greenlight.com slash adrenaline to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash adrenaline slash 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 slash. So thrilling, right? As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system. So wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. The rundown community center doesn't have much to it. The main room has gray office carpeting full of tears and runs. Several dozen plastic folding chairs laid out in concentric circles surround a podium in the middle of the room. It was probably donated from some failed tech company. It still has the now out-of-date digital cable hookups and ancient wireless pod dangling out of a hole in the back. The walls are plastered with familiar image of Iskender, a brown-skinned man in his mid-thirties, sporting a messy, short beard and a shaved head. He's got sad eyes, but... In every image, he wears a wide, toothy smile. What catches my eye 
are the several dozen symbols around the space, too. Circles with a line down the middle. Some drawn, few shaped in reclaimed metal, and even one carved out of polished wood. I note that Sophia decides to hang by the doorway to the main hall. There, but obviously separate from the others. Phone in her hand, fiercely typing. Does she choose to keep herself separate? Or do the clones ask her to? From my experience, most clones are hostile to anyone on the outside. So it's saying something that she was invited here in the first place. What will happen if they find out who I really am? I sit down in the chair on the outer ring, nerves jangling. Hey, what are you doing there? I look up to see a whole range of faces staring back. Oh, with that warm, friendly, unnerving smile. Um, sitting? Terrence, you belong up in front. As Kinder felt, you were also a center of the circle. People start pulling me out of my seat, gently, but still. No, it's okay. I try to wave them off. I, I don't need to be in the center. Don't be modest. Someone says. You deserve it, Terrence. Terry, what the fuck did you do? I stand to keep from getting bowled over. The crowd herds me into the middle of the circle of chairs. I plaster on a smile, keeping to small talk. Weather and source news. I can't figure out why everyone is thanking me, thanking Terrence so much. Where is Roque? They should be here too. Someone says, great, another name. I follow the many pairs of eyes toward the back of the room to two people in an intense conversation. One of them, tall and scarecrow thin, wears a secondhand blue suit, or more like the suit wears him. His pale, white skin flushes red in frustration as he argues with someone I assume is Roque, a heavyset Afro-Latinx wearing a black suit jacket, a dark gray collared shirt, and a simple black tie. They wear black slacks, the whole outfit contrasting with what looks to be secondhand army boots. Everything about Roque is sharp and measured, from their undercut and the side swoop of their black hair to their plucked eyebrows. Someone in charge, someone in control. What really catches my attention, though, is her deep brown eyes. Roque, is it really a good idea for you to wear that right now? The scarecrow says, loud enough I can hear him halfway across the room. Roque gives a polite smile and gestures to a metal pin on their lapel. A circle, missing the central bar. I didn't intend to start a fight, Enzo. As Kendra and I never asked each other to give up our ideals, and I would never ask that of you. Scarecrow Enzo backs off. I spot his own lapel pin. The circle, with the bar. Some people say the circle is broken. It's only broken if they decide it's broken. I'm not the one breaking it. The only thing Terrence ever said about the circle was that it was personal. Up to interpretation. Like any religion. He did drop hints that disagreements within a circle made him uncomfortable. But I can't remember Terrence carrying either one of those symbols. Which came first anyway? With the bar or without? Enzo moves to the seat in the outer circle. Roque walks to the podium and smiles. Right at me. For a moment, I forget where I am, and my pulse skips a beat. 
Terrence, thank you for arranging the vigil and for helping out with the funds. The funds? Is that what Terrence does with the urine cash? For me, it's too. We've never had to handle this sort of thing before. And the circle appreciates it. Thank you. The crowd murmurs in agreement. I suppress a pebble of irritation. Would these people all still treat Terrence like a saint if they knew where he got his money? No. I should be the saint. I'm the one who pays him. Roquet frowns, as if they sense a direction of my thoughts. I know we've disagreed about a lot of things, but you helped me too. I appreciate it. I... Uh, okay. It's okay. I'm here to help. Whatever you need. And I mean it. They smile. But there's something else. Something behind the smile I can't quite interpret. The only coherent thought in my head is, you really could get lost in those brown eyes. All the seats fill, so people end up standing. They clasp each other's shoulders, hug, weep. Reluctantly, I allow the man and woman on either side to take my hands. I wonder if they can feel my palms growing hot, slick with sweat. Roque waits patiently at the podium. The mourners all hush, as if an invisible hand swept through the room. Roque speaks from memory, with careful, measured words. They obviously have a talent for public speaking. One way to judge a person is to acknowledge what they did. How their ripple in the ocean turned into a wave. Iskander founded the circle, giving us a space to be within. And though he and I disagreed on a number of things, we found common ground on one thing in particular. The crowd murmurs. Families are made, not born. A standing woman waves away offers of hugs and runs out. When I turn to look at Roque, I find them staring at me. In fact, everyone is staring at me. Roque leans around the podium and whispers, Aren't you going to check on her? I thought maybe she needs space. I say, they arch an eyebrow. Sarah's been taking Iskender's death really hard. I thought you had a session with her. I didn't want to overreach. Roque softens. Some of us need a push now and then. Like, now, Terrence. Right. Yeah. I'll go counsel. That's what I do. Every eye in the room finds me if they weren't already staring. I hold my breath as I squeeze past Roque through the circle of chairs, tight as a crushing wall. Flashback. Echo Park, April 12th. I've had my fair share of freakouts. Like once in mid-April, when I contacted Terrence out of the blue with a, we have to talk. I was right outside his apartment at the time. I clutch at the steering wheel, knuckles white, breathing hard as Terrence came out to meet me. I'm losing my shit, I managed to say through a clenched jaw. Terrence climbed into the car. If he was surprised by my coming here, it didn't show. Tell me five things you see. Let me guess. Then four I'm touching, three I hear, blah, blah. Everyone knows that trick. Terrence just shrugged. 
works for some people. What works for you? Riding the chunky rainbow, or swimming in deep blue, or chewing on green envy. A shot of whiskey. Hell, even a beer could take the edge off. <laughs> I swallowed the instinctive retort. Too soon to bring it up. He's into this. A moment later, I realized my chest had stopped heaving. Damn it, Terry. I guess it worked. But I wasn't going to admit that. Food, usually. All right, let's get some food. We went to In-N-Out and parked at a grass sports park while we ate our fries and burgers. Mm. This is the most disgusting thing I have ever eaten, mumbled Terrence, sauce and grease dripping down his chin. Not in the car, I shouted, even though the interior already smelled like the inside of a fry pan. Mm. Sorry, sorry. He climbed out. The night air was sharp and dry. I got out and offered him a bag of fries. Disgusting, hmm? So, you don't want any more? Mm. Yes, please. Terrence said as he dug a whole fist into the bag. You've seriously never had this before. There's an in and out just around the corner from you in Hollywood. Mm. Mm -hmm. I don't like leaving Echo Park. Always causes some kind of trouble. Just look at how we met. He grinned at me. I nudged him with my elbow. <laughs> Expanding your horizons isn't all bad, Terry. Get out of your shell. Join the wider world. We are all waves in the ocean, after all. Terrence muttered to himself. Huh? Oh, uh, it, it's something we say in the circle. The retreat was surrounded by water. It was comforting. Uh, I read that you had really good food at your compound. The retreat, not a compound. But yeah, a balanced diet, all the essential proteins, vitamins, fats, carbs. Nothing that tasted like this. This is horrible. Terrence took another big bite of his burger. Yeah, don't choke on it. We need you alive. I gulped from my near gallon sized soda cup. That's going to make your bladder burst. You're going to be peeing all night. <laughs> I wish. The more pee, the better. From what I understand, I shouldn't engage in what counseling calls kink shaming. So, <laughs> don't make me laugh. It'll definitely make me pee. A smile crept into Terrence's greasy face. Sorry. No, it's... Uh... They're doing random drug tests at work. My log got selected. A little of my earlier panic crept back. <clears throat> I'm, I'm trying to flush out my system, which means drinking fluids until my bladder bursts. Also means pretty soon I'll be running for a bathroom every 15 minutes. Terrence's body language changed again, becoming careful, guarded. Wait, if you're worried, you do drugs? I waved the hand dismissively, a habit I picked up from my mother. Just to chill out once in a while. Never at work, only on weekends. Terrence continued to study me. Your panic attack earlier, was that drug related? <laughs> if you count fear of getting caught related, then yeah, I guess so. I suppressed a flare of annoyance at yet another person getting into my business. I thought you weren't into shaming, Terry. I'm not shaming, Zhang. Just concerned. I've been under a lot of pressure. Yeah, 
bladder pressure from all the soda you've been drinking. Good one. I'm glad I've been a positive influence on your sense of humor. We chewed and sipped in silence for a while. Now's the time to hit him with this idea. Something I've been thinking about for a while. If you're really worried, then... Okay, hear me out. Is this pee-related? <laughs> no. Yes. It's not what you think. If you could provide me with a sample, I could get out of this jam. Terrence arch an eyebrow. A sample? Just this once, to pass the drug test. The longer I spoke, the better the idea seemed. Our genetics match, right? Nobody would know. It's not like I even bliss out that often, really. This was just shitty timing. That doesn't sound very ethical, civil advisor. Terry. I waited for him to meet my eye. I have never put anyone in harm's way. Other drugs are legalized. Rainbow is no worse than marijuana or its predecessors, especially since I only use it on weekends. Recreationally. I could hear the desperation in my voice. Scale it back. I paused to catch my train of thought. The laws haven't caught up with the newer drugs, that's all. Is it fair for me to lose my job over something half of LA does? Terrence wavered. I could see it on his face. On my face. I almost had him. Plus... I dragged out that pause thoughtfully. You did conspire with that Dick Waddleford to set me up. Terrence chewed on this request just as slowly and carefully as he chewed his burger. I can't provide pee all the time. No, 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 of course not. I wouldn't ask that of you. I held my breath, hoping. He locked eyes with me, and I knew. Triumph shot through me. Terry, you are a lifesaver. The weight lifted from my shoulders. A week's worth of panic erased in one blow. Then, I forced a stern look. Call me James, because I'm not calling you Libra. I'd feel like I'm talking to a fortune teller. He pressed his lips together. Sorry, force of habit, old retreat thing. We called all our minders by their last names. Ramirez, Aker, Newhouse, etc. Well, out here in the real world, only teenagers, frat boys, or military officers do that. James, it seems that you're in trouble, and I'm the only one who can help you relieve the situation. So be nice, or I'll get pissed off. We laughed, relaxing in the Los Angeles nighttime air. James, Echo Park, August 17th. I followed the crying woman. Roque called her, Sarah? Out of the congregation and into the foyer. I dart into the old stained kitchenette, grab a few paper towels and return to hand them to this woman. She clutches the towels like a lifeline. Thank you, Terrence. No problem. Sarah? Look, I know everyone feels like they failed as kinder. It's natural, after a death. She gives me a funny look. I don't think I failed him. I, honestly, I don't know what to think. He was always too optimistic about sources, but I, I, I don't know. You don't think he was right about sources? Sarah also wears a pin like Roque's, a circle with no line down the middle, 
Hers looks handmade with copper wire, glue, and safety pins. I don't want to meet my source. Who cares what she's been doing with her life? I don't need a reflection. She doesn't know me. It's not like she'll welcome me as a sister. The circle is the only family I need. Is that what reflection means? Well, clearly Iskender saw value in meeting your source. In reflection, just as adopted children sometimes find closure in meeting their biological parents. Sarah waves a dismissive hand. We weren't born though. We were decanted. We weren't given up, Terrence. We weren't even not wanted. When a source throws something away, at least it belonged to them first. We don't even have that consideration. So why should we give any to our sources? I shift my weight. I'm comfortable with the anti-source talk. Is this how Terrence really feels about me? I, I know we aren't friends exactly, but I thought we were friendly. Maybe thinking about it through Iskinder's eyes might help. You don't have to agree with him, just consider why he believed what he did. They found Iskinder's body tied up and weighed down by rocks. Who else but a source would do that? Not all sources. I bite back the response. Sarah keeps crying, holding on to her circle. So she's part of Roque's faction. The ones who probably don't think much of non-clones. And this kinder must have led the other, those who wear the circle with the middle bar, who think favorably of non-clones. Oh fuck, what's the phrase? A uh, moon, some, something about a moon. The moon changes, so shall we. Sarah finishes. She gives me a long stare. You've never sided with Iskander before. I'm not siding with him. It's just an exercise. Iskander was part of your community. Our community. Families sometimes disagree. Disagreeing even after death is fine. As long as you aren't doing it just because you feel like you have to. From the main room, we hear a chorus of voices. We close the circle. We should get back. I'm sorry. I know Iskander meant a lot to you. She touches my shoulder. I pat her hand. Not a problem, Sarah. I'm more concerned about your process. She gives me a strange look. I wonder if that wasn't Terry sounding enough. All she says is, I'll pay you back as soon as I can. My earlier pebble of irritation quickly hardens into a pearl. Did Terrence use my money to support everyone here? Don't worry about it. I'm here if you want to talk more. We return to the main room. People have broken up into different groups, standing and chatting. I dodge a couple of well-wishers, plastering on a polite smile. Across the room, I notice Sophia making the rounds, embracing people, chatting like they're old friends. Why do they accept her? I'm the one who has to liaison between clones and cops. Terrence knew what kind of work I did. He could have helped me out, bring me to a meeting like this. Through the din, I catch the sound of Terrence's name. I glance over to see Sarah chatting with Roque. As I do, Roque looks up. They catch my eye, then turn back to Sarah. Are they talking about me? 
Did I slip up somehow? Give myself away? I take a sliding step backward, inching closer to the exit. Terrence! A blonde woman I've never seen before grips my arm. I'm so sorry. We've been leaning on you for so much, but this must be difficult for you too. I'm okay. At least I didn't have to force my pain smile. But thank you for thinking of me. The woman's companion mutters something. The blonde woman looks to the side, startled. And then someone else laces their arm through mine, tugging it free of the woman's grasp. Terrence. <sighs> Roke. Their tone sets off alarm bells in my brain. Can we talk? Privately? Of course. At least one-on-one. -on -one. I won't have to fake knowledge for a crowd of people. Roke, however, has grabbed me on the side with a gun. It digs into my ribcage now. A reminder just how many secrets I'm juggling tonight. I shift my body to make sure they don't feel the carbon plastic bulge. I aim for a winning smile. Normally, you'd have to make an appointment, but... I try to politely disentangle my arm, but Roke holds firm. It's really important, they say, looking at me with those expansive brown eyes. My skin temperature rockets. I hope I haven't turned bright alcohol red. Usually, when I find someone staring at me this intently, it means, let's go for a drink or two, and then later, when the night at their apartment. They lead me to the back of the community center. I don't suppose I lent you money, too. What? Never mind. What is it you wanted to talk about? We reach a small meeting room with paper taped over all the windows. We both step inside. But Roke doesn't turn on the light. Back of my neck prickles. Terrence dated someone within the clone community, didn't he? I can't remember the name. Was it Roke? This same Roke? Don't the clones all get unique first names? Oh, crap. I'm so lost in thought, I don't realize what's happening until Roke has slid my jacket off my shoulders. Their hands touch my chest, my waist. Oh, hold on a second. My mind races to catch up to my pulse. Not that I don't like it. Oh, this is so many more levels of wrong that I'm prepared to descend. We should slow down. That at least makes Roke pause. Their hands drop. Slow down? This isn't a come on. Their tone is light, almost laughing, which makes it extra confusing when my eyes finally adjust to the dim lighting and I realize what they're holding. My jacket in one hand, a gun in the other. Real fear creeps onto my voice now. Hold on. That isn't a toy. That's a real gun. They arch a single pointed eyebrow. Then they level it at my chest. I noticed. Okay, so right off the bat, I love that sort of uh, fictional sleight of hand, right, where the gun that was pointed at James, we assumed that he was being, uh, it was a stick-up in the classic terminology. Uh, turns out it was being offered for sale. So um, I love that kind of reversal, and I'm expecting to see a lot more of that, uh, the same in Echo Park. And also, we have learned that there is a clone serial killer. So is it a good idea for James to continue to pretend to be Terrence? Probably not. But who am I to judge? I said, who am I to judge? Look, I'm not here to be put into a box and be contrary every single time. You're doing an okay job, man. Just keep going. You got this. Okay. 
Okay, that's cool. Um, thank you. Anyway, uh, we have episode three of Echo Park coming at you very soon, wherein we will see if James is capable of convincing anyone that he is Terrence, which obviously did not go well with Terrence's ex. So place your bets now, and I will see you next time. We huh? will see you next time. We will see you next time for episode three. Take care. You're listening to Echo Park, starring Harry Shum Jr. Echo Park is a Realm production. Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Echo Park stars Harry Shum Jr. Written by Curtis C. Chen, Monty Lin, Millie Ho, Sloan Leong, and Jen Reese. Produced by Rhoda Belleza, Fred Greenhalgh, Kaylin West, and Haley Wagreich. Directed by Pun Bandu. Executive produced by Molly Barton, Marcy Wiseman, Julian Yap, and Harry Shum Jr. Associate produced by Michael Coulter. Starring Harry Shum Jr. and Nikki Toison. Loop Group actors David Chen, James Taku Leung, Constance Parn, and Artemis Snow. Sound design by Krista Giametti. Mixing and mastering by Rory O'Shea. Audio editing by Justin DeWald. Original score by Martin D. Fowler. Music supervision by Marcus Begala. Production manager, Alexis Latshaw. Production coordinator, Angela Yee. Casting by Sunday Bowling and Meg Mormon. Cover art by Kendall Thomas and Louise Daisy. Executive in charge for Realm, Mary Asadolahi. Adrenaline is produced by Mary Asadolahi. Associate produced by Nicole Kreuter and Alexis Latshaw. Executive produced by Molly Barton, Julian Yap, and Marcy Wiseman. Hosted by Neil Helligers. Audio editing by Angela Yee. Original theme by Marcus Begala. Cover art by Kendall Thomas. Find more shows like Adrenaline by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.